So this evening's reading is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. It's Jesus honours the Syrophoenician woman's faith. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not uh, want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek and born of Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her daughter lying on on the bed and the demon was gone. Good to see everyone tonight. If this is your first time in Edinburgh, you're in for a treat. It's a, it's a wonderful place. I came a long time ago and I've, I kept coming back and now, I, now they've let me come stay. So it's amazing. Um, let's pray and let's, uh, let's just seek the Lord. This is a kind of really, this is an interesting passage, a challenging passage. And, but I really believe that God calls us into the challenging places. And that's where real growth is. And uh, some of the most difficult parts of the Bible, some of the most difficult things are the places sometimes God, that's exactly where he wants us to go. So why don't we pray and then ask God to speak to us tonight. Lord, we love you. Um, We've already welcomed you here uh, through worship. And Lord, we just want to just keep opening opening our hearts up to you. We love you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Lord, speak to us, Lord. Encourage us. Lord, wherever we're at, we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. I can hardly believe I'm conscious right now. I've uh, just, I had a son four weeks ago, and I've had relatives with me full stop for the whole time. It was a good move to bring in family. It helped a lot. But uh, sleep deprivation has been a new thing. But of course, my wife actually carries most of the burden. I just talk about it a lot. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> She's the one actually doing the work. I like wake up and I'm like, honey, are you doing okay? <laughs> anyway, she doesn't say anything. But I, I make her breakfast. So. Um, we've been reading this story, and we read it earlier this morning, and there's, there are various stories in the Bible that are jarring, and this is a jarring story. Um, a desperate mother has come to Jesus and seems to meet somebody we don't recognize. Jesus appears at best a bit insensitive and rude, and at worst, sort of bigoted and a bit misogynistic. This is difficult, and it jars us, because this isn't the Jesus that we have come to know. The Jesus we, we know is, has come to earth to sacrifice his life. He's the good shepherd who pursues lost sheep. He's willing to lay down his own life. In a culture that demeaned women, he first reveals his messianic identity to a Samaritan woman, someone from the other side of the tracks. He says, I am the Messiah, blatantly to this woman, the first person he ever reveals it to. Um, he encourages women to take a prominent role in his ministry, like Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus. And then there's Mary Magdalene, who is the first witness to his resurrection, along with several other women. 
Who is this Jesus? What is happening? You know, by the time Mark has been written, Gentiles have already been included in the church. So again, it's a jarring passage. How would a Gentile have felt reading this passage? Why was this being included in the text if this is some sort of odd story? But what's happening? Uh, To be honest, I don't know if I can solve or resolve all the tensions in this narrative. But Jesus is somebody I have come to know in my personal experience and through the scriptures, through the witness of other Christians both past and all the way to the apostolic times. And even if I can't figure out every which way to square this text, I know that Jesus is someone I can trust. And that one day when I get all the information, then everything will be squared away. But I don't want to just falsely try to push this text into a harmonization. Um, But of course, I I also believe that as we dig into things, sometimes God does give us insight and help us to understand what's happening in these things. Um, It's very important that we are able to trust God when we don't understand everything, or when everything doesn't seem to get squared away, or when things jar us. We're never asked to go on blind faith with God, but there are times when we don't see the whole picture. In fact, we mostly don't see the big picture, or all of things. And it's not blind or naive to trust God in those situations. It's like the faith we have in a friend when somebody comes to us and they said, oh, I heard Joe or Tom or Sue say this, that, or the other, which it seems to be completely at odds with their character. We have known them for so long and someone comes with a story, but we choose to trust and still believe in them because we know them so well. And so we wait till we talk to them, and oftentimes there is a bigger part of the picture. There's something else. This isn't blind faith. It's like the faith we have in a friend. And again, with Jesus, we have past experiences of our own, the experience of others who have walked with him, and the testimony of Jesus' earliest followers. And again, I don't know if I can fully resolve all the story, but I think digging deeper into this will bring encouragement to us. Dave had good insights this morning. I encourage you to listen to that and again to dig into this passage in some different ways. But again, it is important to look at the context. Whenever we read the Bible, it's important we don't read it in isolation. So there's a lot of things happening around Jesus in this story. Uh, in, in the general context, we think Jesus is being rejected by those he has primarily come to win. He has come to his own people, and his own hometown simply will not believe in him. He actually doesn't get to do many miracles because they simply won't come to him for prayer. They just don't want to come to Jesus. And then he's doing all kinds of miracles. He's healing the 5,000. The lame are walking. The blind are seeing. And the Pharisees want to argue with him because they're not washing their hands correctly. And he's just like, what is happening? He must be just going bonkers. Like, what is wrong with these people? He's holding himself out to these people. He's reaching out to them, and they simply aren't, aren't coming to him, and they aren't getting it. Jesus begs them to understand the important things. God isn't after the outward appearance, but he's looking for people whose hearts are given to him. Evil can come out of the heart. That's where evil comes out of. It's what's happening on the inside. It's not the externals. But of course, that's where God wants to go in and transform and bring his Holy Spirit to transform and renew us. Jesus longs for us to give him our hearts. It seems like even his own disciples don't quite get it. If you look at these different passages before and after, And then enter a woman from the wrong part of the country. 
Her family is a mess. She somehow has allowed her daughter to get involved in the occult, and she's demonized. How awful. And just as a side note, this isn't going to be a focus, but it is important to remember that Jesus and his earliest followers affirmed the existence of spiritual personalities and forces that are at war with God and with us. There are evil spirits, and we must be very careful not to play with or engage with spiritual realities that are contrary to Jesus or God. Because um, these are destructive forces. That's just a kind of a freebie right there. But this woman's child is suffering. Her family's a mess. This woman's from the wrong tribe, the wrong ancestry. She wouldn't have even been allowed anywhere near the temple to worship. And somehow, this woman gets it. She gets it. She calls Jesus Lord. There's a parallel passage in Matthew. And she somehow understands that Jesus is actually the Messiah. She, he, she, she calls out on him. She knows that he can help her, she, and she just won't give up. She believes that Jesus will help her. She knows that he can help her. And somehow, through the banter, he know, she knows he wants to help her. She gets it. She knows that he cares. I, I was kind of um, laughing because I was thinking, as an American, this is a particularly hard passage for me to get. Because we don't do irony very well. <laughs> and I think this passage is total banter and irony with Jesus. Jesus is kind of talking, I, again, as an American, I don't know, talking smack. <laughs> but that seems too, too trite. Jesus is having a bit of a go. But of course, if he hadn't wanted to engage her, he'd have ignored her and walked away. You know, if you're walking down the road and sort of, and uh, so, like a street huckster or a, a beggar or somebody comes along and starts screaming at you, the thing that you do is you just don't engage, you walk away. As soon as you engage, you're kind of in, right? You're in, the kind of, you're in for the game a little bit. Maybe give him a little money or do a little something. So as soon as he engages with her, he's in. And she knows it. She knows how this goes. She's screaming out, and at first Jesus is silent. Jesus was besieged by all sorts of crowds. People were probably screaming at him all the time. And Jesus is just kind of doing his thing. But this woman won't give up. His disciples come to him and tell him, tell this woman to go away. We don't need this woman around us. She is, she's crazy. But Jesus chooses to engage but in a completely unexpected way. He says to her, he says to her, he says, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jesus has just made it clear the pedigree doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't, well, Jesus just made it clear that the externals don't matter. And I think at this point, Jesus is making it clear that pedigree doesn't matter. Where you're from, who you are, what side of the tracks, all Jesus cares about is where your heart is at. Where is your heart tonight? Where is your heart tonight? Are you hardened? Are you dispassionate? Are you distant? Or are you... Digging into God. We live in a world that idolizes fame and success, a certain level of education. Or maybe it's not fame and celebrity, but it's some sort of um, well-roundedness. You've read the right books. You've had the right sorts of adventures. 
But again, Jesus doesn't care what your marks were this week. What he cares about is where your heart's at. Because if you give him your heart, you can make a difference for eternity. This is a message for every young person in here, for any person in here. If you give your life to Jesus, you can lay up treasures for eternity. That is not a promise to Oxbridge graduates or Harvard and Yale. That is a message to every single Christian in this room. Your life can make a difference globally and eternally if you give your life to Jesus. That is a promise for every single Christian, regardless of pedigree and regardless of externals. Jesus cares about where your heart is. Jesus is often enigmatic and he's cryptic when he's dealing with people. In his encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus talks about living water, then he baits her with a question about having a husband when he knows she's had five In this situation, Jesus knows that the elephant in the room is that the Syrophoenician woman is from the wrong side of the tracks, that she comes from the wrong tribe, the wrong social group, doesn't have the right pedigree, and instead of avoiding the big issue, he goes right at it. Just like the woman at the well, he goes right at the issue of of her relationships and the difficulty she's had there. He goes right at it. Because he's going to come into that situation and he is going to redeem it. We often avoid pain. We avoid those places of hurt. Jesus knows where our pain is. And Jesus doesn't avoid it. Often he presses us. He asks about it. And what he wants is to put, to draw us closer to him. He doesn't want us to run away. He wants us to hang in there. In one exchange in John, Jesus uses some very cryptic statements to the crowd about eating his blood, I mean, uh, and, well, drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And people are like, this is crazy. We are out of here. And he turns to the disciples and says, are you guys going, going to? And, and they turn to him and say, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. Where else will we go? Even in the midst of the difficulties and mysteries of life, God longs for you and for me to hold fast to him, to love him, and to pursue him passionately. While Jesus pursues people passionately, he does not offer himself cheaply. He will give himself completely to us, and he has given himself completely for us, but he asks for everything in return Romans 10.9 says that if we are to be saved, you have to believe the story is true, that Jesus died and rose again, but we must also call him Lord. Jesus, like all of us, doesn't want just friends who just sort of acquiesce lackadaisically or just sort of ambivalently in, uh, in, in our friendship. He wants people who love him passionately and pursue him in that way. And I think sometimes he uses these statements to draw out those who really, really want to know him and those who really actually don't care that much. God can use these sorts of difficulties to to, to do this. There's something really interesting. You can almost hear Jesus' laughter as the woman responds about even the dogs getting the crumbs. So often when Jesus is bantering and sparring with people, he always gets the last word. Always gets the last word. But not this time. She beats him, and he loves it. 
she gets the last word. She one-ups Jesus. Read the rest of the Bible. No one gets the last word on Jesus. He's always the wittier guy. But he has set her up, and she's beaten him, and he loves it. And he's going to heal her daughter. It's one of two sort of, one of only a few long-distance miracles in the Bible. The other one is the centurion, also a Gentile. And he says, wow, look at the faith of this person. And he says, your daughter's going to be made well. So often God can push us and prod us in ways we don't completely understand. But he wants us to respond with perseverance and passion like this woman. I know God hangs in there with us in the midst of our doubts and our questions. And I'm a person who struggles with doubt. That's, a, that's been part of my journey. But I think God really sometimes wants us. He wants us just to be passionate about loving him. And, there, and I do want to ask you a question. Sometimes we can grow cold in our faith and a little too clinical. And I think sometimes God does want us to, to return to a place of passion in our lives of pursuing God with first love. And, and our affections are an important part of who we are. Where are your affections tonight? Are they like this woman who's just, per, just passionately pursued Jesus and doesn't care about anything else? Or are you clinical and kind of always analyzing? And, that's, and again, there's a place for that. I totally believe in that. But there is also a place for letting Jesus have our passions and our desires He wants us to pursue with passion and perseverance. I also believe that God sometimes wants us to push back on him a bit. As I was thinking about this dialogue between this woman and uh, Jesus, I thought too, I thought about Abraham and Moses often would sort of go back and forth with God, and sometimes they would win. You know? Abraham would push God. Well, what, what about this? Well, will you do this? What about this, God? I want a little bit more, God. And God would kind of, he kind of loved the give and take. There was something there. And I think sometimes we underestimate our ability to kind of interact and sort of banter back and forth with God and, 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 and really wrestle things out with him. Of course God is bigger and wiser, but like a father wrestling his child, sometimes he absolutely wants to be beaten. He wants us to hold on tighter, to ask a little deeper. Again, where are you tonight? Maybe you're going through a time of questioning and, and, or things have been happening. I mean, we've had this elephant in the room. I did not know Rachel. Um, so it's not, it's, that's not something I'm experiencing the same way that some of you are experiencing. We can trust God sometimes when we don't understand everything. I'm not saying that's easy. God is faithful. Where is your first love? Maybe you're a person who's kind of become a little too clinical or too a little too routine in your faith, and God wants you to, to take it, wants to be challenged in your affections for him. Maybe there's a place of pain or there's a place of the, uh, a place of pain or a place of, of difficulty in your life, hurt, weakness. And God is putting his finger in, or has been putting his finger on that area for a while. And you, and you wonder why. How, how can God allow this to be happening? But somehow he was allowing 
the pressures of life or something at work to really press in on this issue. And instead of avoiding it, he wants you to deal with it. It could be a sin issue. It could be a relational issue. It could be some sort of something you struggle with. But you need to press into God. Allow him to touch the hurting places of your life and to deal with you. There's only a few people that get called, uh, that are said to have great faith in the whole of the Bible. And again, once again, as I mentioned earlier, this is another one of these places where someone is lifted up with amazing faith. And it happens to be a woman from the wrong side of the tracks.